How many of you guys have seen those advertisements on TV, right? It's, it, I mean, that, isn't that classic? I mean, when you watch something like that, there's something inside of just the human being that goes, that's right. There's something that's just good about that. It's something that's helpful. It just has an air of beauty to it. And, um, and I would say uh, one term we could use is it's something glorious. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, my name is Dave Nelson. If you're new here today, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, lead pastor here at K2 The Church. And we're just very excited about doing round two here as we've had our 930 service and get to do it again here at 1130 and share just some cool stuff about uh, Jesus Christ with you. So uh, when I think about glorious, if you guys think about the word, if something's glorious, or if it has glory, what are some things that you guys shoot, shoot back to me some things? What are some things that are glorious? Love. Okay, love, good. Sunset. What's that? Sunsets, Sunsets absolutely. Yeah. Integrity. Integrity, all right, good. My wife. Your wife, sweet. That guy just scored. Got some points right there. <laughs> and a slap. <laughs> That's awesome. Peace is glorious. There are so many things, you know, that we can think of when we think of the word glorious. Like sometimes it can be just the, you know, the being outside and seeing all the, sc- the stars are just at night when there aren't lights around is just, is just glorious. Just the, uh, the grandeur of here, these mountains are glorious. For me, watching old reruns of Barry Sanders run for touchdowns, that was glorious. Well, last Sunday... Um, I always get up really early on Sunday mornings and just kind of take my message and go through it again. And uh, I got up before the sun was up and I was sitting there and then eventually the, the clouds, I could just start to see them. I went in, got my second cup of coffee and I was sitting there, it was dark like this and I had my computer out and I was playing on my computer, working on the message. And all of a sudden it was like somebody just turned on a light, like instantly. I've never had this happen before. And my whole yard just turned orange. I mean, it was kind of freaky, actually. So I turned around in my chair, and this is what I saw. Isn't that awesome? It's absolutely beautiful. And you said sunsets. Sunrises, too. We don't see as many of those as sunsets. But, uh, man, you, when you see something, I mean, it just so overtook me. And, again, pictures can't quite grasp it, but you can just tell how in an instant the sun broke through. And when that happens, you guys, when you see something glorious... See, there's some of the words that go along with glory. It's splendor. There's magnificence. There's a, a sense of excellence or preeminence. There's majesty. And, and what it does is it literally creates awe. You can go ahead and flick the lights back on. It creates awe. And, when, and, and then an adoration. And then that, if, it, if it really is moving in your heart, you'll, you'll find yourself start praising something that's glorious. And then if it's a person or it can be even a joy, it can be anything, you'll find yourself having allegiance to it. And so as we look at Jesus today, the Bible is just very clear that he comes in all of his glory. Well, what does that mean? How does Jesus Christ actually come in his glory? And we're going to look at a passage in Matthew chapter 21. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 21. Uh, again, if you don't have a Bible, if you're new, and, and, or if you have a Bible that you can't understand, and you'd like one that's a little bit more easy to read, we have them out in the lobby, and you can grab a free one anytime. We'd love for you to have one. Um, or you can just look right up here on the screen, and we'll fill you in. Matthew chapter 21. So basically, the story, let me kind of give you a setup. This is near the end of Jesus' life. And he's been wandering all over Israel, and he's been doing these amazing ministries and miracles and teachings. And this is near the end of his life, and he's coming to Jerusalem to begin establishing his greatest act of love to be the Savior of the world. And here's what it says. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, 
Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to your daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and they did as Jesus had instructed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So now you got to get this picture here, right? So there's a procession that's going on, and it says a very large crowd. So there's a ton of people, and they're all shouting this, Hosanna, and they're laying their cloaks down on the ground, and they're throwing these palm branches down on the ground for Jesus Christ to come in on. And the other thing that's important at the end there, it says, and the whole city, so you have this crowd doing this, but it says the whole city was stirred. And I, I looked at that word because I don't know if, if about you, but if I get stirred, it usually is more something like, hey, what was that? You know, <laughs> kind of a, but when you look at the word stirred, it means literally to shake, to cause, to tremble, usually a violent concussion. So I think the New Living Translation actually has a better verse. It says the whole city was in an uproar. <laughs> I mean, they were just going, what is going on? They were freaking out. They were stirred inside. It also can mean like a fear that's going on. And so, and then what they, their, their reply is this. Their question was, who is this? Who is this that's garnering a huge crowd shouting praises to him? And who is this that's causing the whole city to be in an uproar? And that's simply the question we're going to ask today. I want for you and me to investigate who is this? Because they answered, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazarene. That doesn't sound real glorious, but we're going to see as we look at who Jesus is, the glory, the awe, the magnificence, the excellence, the stuff that triggers stuff inside of us to respond. All right? So let's just take a moment and let's just pray. And let's ask God to come in and answer that question for us this morning. Who is this? Who is this Jesus? God, thanks for this morning. Another glorious morning. Man, I love getting up in the early morning before the dawn and just how still and beautiful and glorious your creation is then with the stars shining. Thank you, God, for the faithfulness that we don't even wonder if the sun's going to rise and how glorious that sunrise can be. And thank you, God, for your faithfulness. Thank you that you're here today. Thank you that you're faithful to be with us. Thank you that you're faithful to love every person who's in this room. And God, as we think about glory, as we think about things that are just amazing to us, would you open the eyes of our heart, all of us in this room, so that we might remember or maybe see and hear for the first time how glorious Jesus Christ really is. 
And God, I just pray you do that. I pray you, you know our hearts, you know our minds. Now open them up so that we can literally be changed at the deep core of who we are because of what we believe about you. And we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So here's the first thing I want to look at. We're just going to look at the glory of Jesus. And the first thing is we're going to look at the glory of Jesus as king. Okay? Jesus as king. So if you look up there in, in, uh, in the verse, chapter 21, verse 5, the prophet said, Say to your daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you. Now, this is kind of hard for us to actually think about the attributes of a king, right? Because we're in a democracy, and we uh, vote in presidents, and then we totally slam them, right? <laughs> we just hire guys into office, and then we find little things that we don't like, and then we throw them out of office. You guys understand that's not how kings work, right? A king had absolute authority. A king was sovereign. When he ruled, his power was over the whole land. And, and we watch movies and we look at different places that have this. And a king is somebody who is. These, these verbs describe him. Splendor, magnificent, excellent, preeminence, majesty. That's what a king is. Now, how you respond to a king totally depends on what that king is like. When a king was unjust or if he was cruel... If he was completely self-centered, then the people would want to revolt, right? And they would try to find a way to get, under the, get out of the king's authority and out of his power. But if a king was good, if he was righteous in his rule, if he cared about his people and he was just in his ways, then literally people would be like, you know, man, we love you. Rule. Because we like the way you do this. This is good. The land works when the king rules well. So, as we look at that and we think about Jesus, the Bible is really clear, you guys, that Jesus is the king. And I could try to go into the scriptures and tell you all the way to just show the, both the prophecies about him and the way that he ruled in his own authority. And you'll just see there's so much to it. But years ago, I ran across this audio of a, a pastor, a pastor who I think he pastored for like 40 years down in San Diego. And his name is, uh, he's passed away now, but his name is uh, S.M. Lockridge. And I just found out uh, this morning, his name is Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. <laughs> I'm like, you know, dude, if you're called Shadrach and Meshach, then you got to be a pastor. You don't even have a chance. You're, 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 yeah. Anyway, um, the first time I heard this, I was moved so deeply and I go, there's no way I could explain Jesus as the king better than this guy. Okay, so watch this. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. 
He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent, and he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous, and his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't. You can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah, that's mocking. That's mocking. Amen. Woo! Isn't that sweet? Don't you wish I preached like that? Oh, I dare you! You gotta go. All right. Something in me just wants to go. You gotta give me some amens. I'll give you some of that. All right. Woo! All right. Here we go. Man, I tell you, you guys, we, it's just crazy again because we don't live in that culture. But if we could even begin to grasp what it's like to be in the presence of a king, and then Jesus is the king of kings. He's the one who created everything and is beyond everything that we're in awe of. Everything that just stops us in our tracks. And then we're ador- he, he, he's, he is the creator of that. He's so beautiful. Everything that's good is just a small taste of his perfection. Man, he's just, he's just the king. And what's crazy is in this passage, the prophet said, your king comes to you. Now, that's really important because if you understand the culture of a king, and again, you guys, when Jesus came, it was in the middle of the Roman Empire. You guys, I don't know if you've read much or seen much about the Roman Empire. It's crazy. You talk about king, these kings believed they were gods. There was, you didn't come close to any one of these kings. For them to hear that a king, which they understood, like the Roman emperors, would come to you? That ain't happening. 
In fact, in the book of Esther, it's an Old Testament book. Esther was a beautiful woman, and the queen was actually deposed, and the king saw her beauty, and he said, Esther, I would love for you to come and be one of my queens. Well, she was an Israelite, and they found out a plan that somebody had to destroy the Israelites. And so they were going, hey, Esther, since you're a queen, you can go talk to the king and save us. But listen to what Esther says in chapter 4. It says, all the kings, this is her quote, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman, she's even the queen, any man or woman who who approaches the king in the inner court, without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death. So you guys, this, this is what, I mean, you don't just go see a king. You know, that doesn't happen. In fact, you walk into the presence of the inner court where the king is, and you're put to death unless the king decides to grant you favor. Now, if you understand the Old Testament, and if you're new to the whole Bible or, or to Christ, you wouldn't know this, but when the, if I've been to Israel, and I've been where that temple is, When God told and designed the temple for the Israelites to build, in the very center of the temple, the inner court, is where his presence was. And if anybody went into that inner court, they died. They just died. Only one man, the high priest, once a year could go in to make a sacrifice for the people. See, if you're a king, you're unapproachable. You're unapproachable. And the prophet says, what? This king comes to you. So don't, you guys, before we move on, don't miss the glory, Jesus' glory as the king. He has all authority, all power, all rule, all reign, and his kingdom alone is eternal. He's so far beyond anything you'll ever, ever face. But this king comes to you, so let's talk about the second thing, about Jesus' glory. And that is his glory as servant. This king who shows his glory as servant. In verse 5, it says, Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, and look at this, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now let's go again to this picture, right? What's happening here? A very large crowd is shouting, Hosanna to David! Hosanna to the highest! I mean, they're just shouting, they're screaming out. The whole city is in an uproar. They're freaking out. You guys get this picture? And then in the middle of it, here's Jesus. I mean, you guys, every time I read this, you've got to catch. Have you guys seen processions of kings? Have you seen them in movies? Even I know we don't see a whole lot of the real. The king is always lifted up. The king is always high on the stallion. And what's Jesus doing? He's on a donkey. Why? You guys, this is undercover boss to the nth degree. That's what, that's what Jesus is, right here. People are just going, well, I had no idea. He's down in here, and he's checking us out. Nobody knows who he is. Okay, well, let's figure this out. Let's look at the glory of Jesus as a servant. So in Luke chapter 22, and this is right near the end of his life, and uh, so he's hanging out with his disciples. They've lived with him for three years They've watched him. They've ate with him. They've listened to him. This is the last supper, as we call it, the time when he's gathered together with him. And here we go. Here's the disciples. And they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. After three years of walking with Jesus. Do you guys ever read these disciples and go, are these guys idiots or what? (laughs) Until you do what? Until you look in the mirror. (laughs) 
right? And you realize, yeah, I've been reading the Bible for a long time too, and I still want to be great too. All right, so here we go. So verse 25, Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lorded over their people. And again, remember, in this world, Jesus said, in, in this world, he's talking Roman Empire world. You guys know what they're like. And yet, they're called friends of the people. But among, now listen to this, and this is where he's talking to you and to me, as well as disciples. But among you, it's going to be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leader should be like a servant. Who's more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? Well, the one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. I am among you as one who serves. Yes, you, you, we all know. And I, and I love how that put us. Who, who, who's more important, the one at the table or the one who serves? I mean, you all know that, right? It's easy. It's obvious. But that's the way of the world. The one who serves is less. And Jesus says, I'm going to show you what I'm, I am come as one who serves. And you guys, there is so much glory so much awe, so much beauty, so much magnificence in Jesus as a servant. Now, there's two people he serves. Ultimately, the first one is this. Ultimately, he serves his father, okay? Uh, John 14, 31 is this verse that's just captured me the last year or so. And Jesus simply says this, the world must learn I love the father and I do exactly what he commands me to do. Now, the world would be you and I. I need to learn, Jesus says. I need to learn, and you need to learn that Jesus loves the Father, and he does exactly what his Father commands him to do. You read the book of John, and you'll see all the way through, Jesus says, I do nothing on my own, but whatever the Father tells me to do, I do. Now, what is the nature of a servant, right? A servant is someone who, they never wake up in the morning and go up to the master and say, hey, here's my schedule for today, and here's what I'd like to do, and oh, you want me to do that, but I'm really uncomfortable with that. I mean, the servant doesn't do that. The servant wakes up in the morning and literally just waits, and the master tells them what to do. Can you check this out? Your king comes riding on a donkey. Here's Jesus who created everything, who has all authority over everything, who has power to do anything, saying, I do what? Nothing. (laughs) Except whatever my Father tells me to do. You guys, it is the epitome of the beauty of serving. And our God, the one we worship, that's in his nature. In fact, you know, really, you guys, I think the glory of a human being, Jesus showed us what it was like to actually be human and what it is to be human. The glory of humanity is a human being who says, I will do whatever you ask me to do. And what's so cool, you'll find out in the book of Acts, eventually those apostles that didn't get it at the Last Supper, when they describe Jesus, they call him God, your holy servant Jesus. That's what they they finally got it. He was his father's holy servant. And Jesus gloried in that. He loved the fact that he never did anything on his own, but whatever his father told him to do, he did. And I'm telling you, because Jesus did that, what happened? He changed the world. That's where glory is displayed. Now, the second thing, which is unbelievable, though, is that Jesus didn't just come 
Because you and I as well, I think we could say, well, that makes sense. It's my father, and I'm going to do whatever he tells me to do. But Jesus also came to serve us. In Luke chapter 12, um, he's beginning, Jesus is teaching, and he's trying to help people understand what life is going to be like at the end of the age. What's it going to be like? He, he makes it very clear. I'm coming back, and I'm going to restore everything into the way it was originally intended to be. There will be a new heaven, and there will be a new earth. And the church for thousands of years has said, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Do it. That'd be awesome. So in Luke chapter 12, he's telling us what it's going to be like at the end of the age. And here's what he says. He says, be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. Very interesting. So here's what he's telling you and me. Listen, you guys, when I come back, I better find you dressed and ready for what? For service. Now here's, I don't know if you guys know this, over and over and over again, the Bible says he's going to come like a thief in the night. In other words, he's going to come and you are going to, it's, it's not when you expect it to come. So it literally could be like right now. So if he came right now, how would he find you dressed? Would he find you dressed ready for service? Or would he find you dressed in your own stuff, doing your own deal, waiting to be served? Okay. So he goes on, be dressed and ready for service like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. So that's the picture. Weddings were these huge, glorious parties and everybody knew in that culture is when the master came home, he probably going to maybe even need some help getting in the door and the servant is right there, ready. And he says, be ready. And then he goes on, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. So all Jesus is saying to us, those of us who are ready, we should be ready, dressed, ready for service. We should be waiting at the door. So when the time comes, we'll be ready to open it up and welcome him. And then you guys, look at this most crazy statement. Truly I tell you, he, talking about the master, will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. Now, can I, can I just tell you, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I've read the Bible a lot, so I'm sure I've read that. I never saw that till this week, really. Sometimes your eyes finally open up. That's what's so cool about reading the Bible. You'll see new things all the time. That is insane. Again, in that culture, that never happened. No master comes home, opens up the door, and then tells all the servants, you recline, let me strip down and put on the servant's clothes, and I'm going to serve you. And what Jesus was saying is when the end of the days come, you be dressed ready for service. And when God, when the, when the door opens and we start everything new, you're going to finally see what God is really like. In all of his glory, he's one who serves. See, our view of serving, you guys, is so different. If somebody came to you today and said, hey, I want you to serve me. If I said that, hey, I want you to serve me today, what would you say? <laughs> no, I mean, you would. I mean, there's something inside. If somebody says, serve me, immediately human nature goes, Kum! right? And we go, wait a second. Why in the world should I serve you? And why is it that we feel such a disdain inside of us at the thought of being somebody else's servant? Why is that? Because if you're serving them, then what are they? What are they? <laughs> they are more important than you. I mean, seriously, when the Bible says, hey, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church, which means completely die for them. When the Bible says, wives, submit to your husbands, right? I mean, submit. 
And then throw that word out of the Bible. We hate that word. Why is it that when we think of the idea of serving or we think of the idea of submitting, there's something inside of us that says no because automatically you feel like you're a lesser person. Can I just tell you, catch this, that's the way of the world. That's not God's way. God's way says there is nobody more important, nobody more glorious, nobody with more authority. And let me show you how I live it out. I serve. I serve. Now let's make something really clear here, right? When Jesus serves you, that doesn't make you better than him, right? (laughs) You guys understand that? So that when he serves you, he serves you as what? He serves you as Lord. He's saying, I have all authority. I have actually authority. I created you. I have power over you. And I'm going to serve you. And I just, I know sometimes for us, we just, we, we think of our God and we go, there's no way. That's not how God, I'm supposed to serve him. Well, you're right. But he wants to serve you and you go, no, 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 no. And I just want to say to you today, yes, 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 yes. See, that's how far we are from understanding the nature of God because we think it's wrong and lesser to serve. Don't miss the glory of Jesus. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And that is the glory of our God. So that's what sticks inside of us. Now, let me, let me make something also really clear. Jesus never serves you to, to your end, okay? Even though he serves you, he's not like, hey, what would you like today? And we're like, well, dude, I'd like a nice paying job. Uh, I'd like to be able to travel. I'd like a hot wife. I'd like a, you know, I mean, whatever your, your list is, Jesus isn't going, because I'm here to serve you, so whatever you want. It'd be like a parent, right? Parents, think about this. If you served your kids and did everything that they wanted, if it worked like that, what would happen to your kids? There's a lot of good conversation going on right there. <laughs> you know, seriously, you know what would happen to my kids if I served to their end? My kids would be lazy, sick, and selfish brats. Is that not true? Because all I hear every day is, I want to play Xbox. I want to watch TV. I want dessert. I want to play Xbox. I want to play, I want TV. I want to go there. I want to, you know. Yes, kids. Yes, kids. Whatever you want, right? Yes, kids. Yes. And literally, they would be consumed with themselves and their life would fall apart, okay? So, Remember this question. Do you want God? Or do you want God to make your life work? See, if, let's be honest, because if we're honest, all of us want him to make our life work. Just like your kids want you to make their life work. God, Jesus, will never serve you to your end. He will always serve you to his Father's end. He will serve you, but it will always be for what he knows is best for you. If you're a good parent, you do serve your kids. You sacrifice your time. You sacrifice your energy. You play on their level. You read with them at night. You listen to them. You do serve them, but you serve them, right, as a good parent to a greater end because you know the character you want to develop in them. You know the people that you want them to be, and Jesus always will serve you to that end. And it is glorious. And you know what's so crazy about him is we don't even want him to serve us. It's like even he comes as a savior. It's like, ooh, don't save me, (laughs) right? (laughs) Yeah, seriously, seriously. 
We don't want him to save us. And Jesus goes, well, I don't care because I've, I've come to serve and to give my life as a ransom for you because you do need saving. And I will serve you if you want me to or not. Receive it or not, that's up to you. But I came to give my life away for you. And so we look, and that's the last thing, Jesus' glory as a Savior. In verse 9, they're all crowd. They went off and they're shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That's what they're crying out, you guys. Hosanna means save us. Hosanna means deliver us. It means the deliverer's here. Woo! And they're going, save us, save us. And Jesus is going, I am, I am. But he's saying, I'm not going to save you from the Romans because that's what they wanted, right? They're like, this Roman Empire is driving us crazy. Save us from them. Now, you and I don't have a Roman Empire, but we hear this clearly. Jesus does not say, I will save you from your problems. That's what they're Save us from our problem. Jesus isn't, he goes, I'm going to save you. I am not going to save you from your problems. If anything that God is teaching me in my life right now, he's not very interested in saving me from my problems. Anybody else realize that? But he is very interested in saving you from your problem. He won't save you from your problems, but he will save you from your problem. And the problem that he came to save us from was we wake up every morning with a desire to serve ourselves, And we wake up every morning wanting our spouse to serve us, our kids to serve us, our job to serve us, our church to serve us, serve us, serve us. And Jesus says, you know what the whole problem in the world is? Everybody wants to be served. And I'm going to set you free from that. I'm going to save you from that. And not only does he forgive us for the fact that we live for ourselves and hurt our own lives and everybody around us, here's the beauty of it. He says, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to not just forgive you for doing that. I'm going to save you by coming inside of you. This is the mystery, you guys. The mystery is that Jesus, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian here, catch this. This is, what, this is the greatest message of what Jesus Christ is all about. If you're a believer today, if you're a follower today, you know this one thing, and that is that Jesus Christ lives in you. Is that right? You all know that? That's what we would all say. I would say, yep, Jesus Christ lives inside of me. Now, here's the question based on our topic today. If Jesus is literally living inside of you, what does he want to do through you? Good. You did much better than the second, first service. <laughs> Still only about a third. Let's say this again, you guys, because this is critical. If Jesus is living in you, what does he want to do through you? Sir. Okay. Can I just, I just got to say this to you. Don't fool yourself. There is no way that you and I can actually be in fellowship with God, with Christ, and live a selfish life. You guys understand that? Because we say, I'm a follower of Jesus. Now, I don't serve my spouse, or I don't serve my friends, or I don't serve people at work, I don't serve here at K2, you know what I'm saying? But I am a follower of Christ. Don't fool yourself. If Jesus, who is the king and who shows his glory by being a servant, lives in you, then you will serve. And here's what's awesome, is then what happens? Life gets 
glorious. Then people look at marriages where two people serve each other and they go, how do you do that? That's glorious. I love that. People should look at K2 and this should just be a place where everybody who's a part of it, this is your church. How do you serve this church? Jesus said, you're my body. And every one of you has, I gave every one of you a gift and every single one of you is a part of it. And every time each of you uses your gift to serve the body, the body becomes mature and complete and lacks nothing. And then the world looks around at people who serve each other and they go, that's glorious. We would accomplish so much as a church if every single one of us would let Jesus live in us because he's a king of glory and his glory is he gives his life away. So man, you guys, we're, 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 that's why we're doing this series. And for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about different ways that we can actually serve. But I wanted to make sure before we started those three weeks that you wouldn't be, oh, okay, I got to serve at K2. All right, uh, we're going to do something at Salt Salt Lake, so I guess if I have to, you know, all right, yeah, the Africans are suffering. No. What I wanted to do before we even get into how we serve is if I have Jesus inside of me who has served me, I serve. So we're going to go into worship right now and give you a chance to praise the King. Praise Him for all of his glory, but especially for the glory of giving his life away. And then take communion together to remember how much he loves you and how he gives his life away. Let's do that together.